3, and then we'll have a word of prayer and uh, jump in together. Starting in verse 1, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they, with feigned words, make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Talk about a heavy passage. Um, Let's pray, and then we'll jump into it together. God, we thank you for this time that we can gather again tonight. God, I thank you for the the group that's here. I thank you for the kids downstairs, for the, the babies in the nursery. God, we just thank you. Um, for this church family, for this body of believers that you have assembled. And God, I thank you for the, the fact that the thing that we're united in is, is not our likes or dislikes, but the thing that unites us is Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that that would continue to grow unity in this place, that we would continue to see people um, join this body of believers for your honor and for your glory. And God, I pray now that as we jump into this passage of Scripture that uh, you would help our hearts and minds to understand what's being said here, and I pray that we would also understand how it is applicable to us even in this day and age, God, that we would guard against false teaching, against false teachers, that we would ourselves strive to, to not be false teachers or to uh, wander down a path that would lead us away from who you are and what you've done for us. God, I pray that you'd be glorified through our time together this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, <clears throat> the title of our time together tonight is Fake versus Real. Fake versus Real. Um, Satan has always been and always will be a master counterfeiter. Um, from early on in the Bible, we can see this truth being played out that he's always taken what God has done and he's manipulated it or twisted it and added things to it. Uh, that would, would prove that there would be a little bit of truth there, but it was mixed with lie. And if we follow truth that's mixed with lie, what are we essentially following? A lie. We're not following the truth any longer. And that was seen, as we mentioned this morning, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. It was seen in Cain's life. It was seen uh, at the Tower of Babel. And it's been seen in every one of our lives uh, as we have lived on this earth. And so uh, he, he likes to take uh, what God has said and twist it, mix it with deception, so that he can get what he wants. And we could safely assume then that this would be correct, that Satan uh, is the original false teacher. Uh, he's the one who has set out from the very beginning to deceive um, and lure away um, those whom God would have for himself. And so if this was true uh, back in Genesis, we also understand that it was true before Genesis took place because what did Satan do in heaven? We're not given a ton of information about it, but, but he rose up and said that I want to be like the Most High God. And who did he deceive? A third of the angels he took with him in, in the fall. And certainly that is a, a huge story that hopefully maybe one day God's going to give us some insight on. And if he doesn't, that's okay too because we'll just worship him in heaven uh, regardless if we know or not. Um, but Satan, even before our earth was created, before Adam and Eve were in existence, he, he was living the life of the master deceiver, the false teacher, and uh, he has this way about him uh, that allows him to convince people that lies are actually the truth. And as we think through the Bible, as we think through um, the Old and New Testament, we understand that there has always been false prophets, there has always been false teachers, and we know that one day there is going to be false Christs who rise up and try to lure people away from the truth. And uh, so Peter is writing to combat that. He's writing to encourage the believers to believe what they have believed is the truth, that that what they have followed after is not uh, a fairy tale, that what they have followed after is not a myth or a made-up story, as we talked about last time, uh, but that they have indeed followed the truth. He, He wanted them to be confident in this reality so that they could live lives to the honor and glory of God. And we've talked about this several times in both First and Second Peter, that if we're not convinced that what we're following is the, tr- is the truth, how passionately are we actually going to follow that thing? If we don't believe it's the truth, it's not going to take um, precedence in our lives. And so Peter wants to encourage these people that what they have is the truth, and he wants them to continue on. Uh, throughout the New Testament, um, Jesus himself 
speaks of the false prophets, the false teachers. He does this in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to talk about some of those passages tonight. Uh, There are other New Testament writers who do the same thing. And uh, one of those passages, one of those um, Christian teachers was Jude. Jude had a lot to say in his short book about this idea of false teachers. In verses 11 through 13, he says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about with winds. Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Um, Did Jude have some sharp things to say about false teachers? He did. Um, And so this problem that Peter's dealing with was a problem that was around in the early church. It was a problem around in the Old Testament, and it's still a problem in our day and age. And so tonight we're going to take a look and see what Peter has to say about these false teachers and see how we can apply it to our lives. Um, Peter starts again in verse number one by saying this, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. If we remember where we ended last time, in the end of chapter 1, Peter was talking about the more sure word of prophecy that we have, and how prophecy is not to be of any private interpretation. And so when Peter was writing this letter, there wasn't verse breaks and chapter breaks. He was writing a letter. And so it's good for us as we jump into chapter 2 to remember that it's not necessarily a whole new section talking about different things, but what has been said is connected to what's going to be said, and where Peter encouraged them in the end of chapter 1 to believe that they had believed the truth, he was then encouraging them to understand that this idea of false teachers was nothing new. And so when he starts in verse number 1 of chapter 2, he says, but there were false prophets also among the people. This is tying back into what he said last time about the prophecy that, that men would rise up and say they're prophets. I was having a conversation uh, just yesterday about false prophets, um, and uh, we, we got on the subject of Joseph Smith. Um, Joseph Smith is a false prophet, right? Most people who, who proclaim themselves to be prophets probably we can safely assume they might not be a prophet, right? If, if they're loudly proclaiming their uh, extra-biblical vision from God, we might want to be a little cautious about that. And so as Peter is encouraging them here, he wants them to know that this is not new to them, but this is something that had been around for a long time. And so there were false prophets in the past among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Why would Peter tell them this? Why would he relate what has been in the past to what would be now? To prove that it's going to happen again. He was making a case. He wanted them to be aware that, that he's not making something up. Kind of like how he talked about in chapter 1, um, that, that this wasn't a fairy tale that they were believing. He wanted them to believe that they have proof that this has happened before, and so we can be sure it's, it's going to happen again. And so Peter says, there shall be false prophets among you. That phrase, among you, is, is interesting because it's denoting this idea that the false prophets were not just outside the church, but the false prophets had crept in the church. Um, that not everyone who said, Lord, Lord, as Jesus said, was actually a part of the kingdom. That there were people who were attaching themselves to the churches of that day uh, because they were trying to fulfill their lustful greediness in getting what they wanted to get. And so Peter wanted them to know that yes, there are false teachers outside of the church at times, and those oftentimes for us are are easier to recognize. But we also have to understand that there are false teachers within the church, and we have to prepare to guard ourselves against those things. Because if we're honest, sometimes the message of the false teacher is very appealing to our flesh. It sounds good. It's comforting. It makes it appear that, that we're going to get something maybe that God hasn't promised to us, but this teacher is convincing. And so, so Peter wanted them to be aware. He wanted them to be aware to, to watch out for those who were outside in different religious groups, but also to be aware of, of, of those who had crept in the church and were trying to take ground uh, from those who had believed in Jesus Christ. They needed to be aware uh, that not everything that they heard was the truth. Um, 
And that's hard for us sometimes. It's hard to have a, a, a mind that can discern what truth is versus what, li- what lies are. But, but aren't we told in the Bible to test the spirits, to see which ones are of God and which ones are, are not of him? Um, there, there was a commentator that I, I used to like to read a lot, and I'm not, I'm not going to give you his name, um, but I used to like to read him a lot. And then I was reading another commentary, and they referenced this guy and some of the heresies that he believed. And I was like, I, I had never studied his writings on those topics, but when I saw what he was writing in other areas, it's like, i got to be careful because it's easy to just believe what you're reading is the truth. They might be really strong in some areas, but if, if they're not strong in other areas that matter, then we have to be cautious about those things. So it's not just people outside the church, but it's false teachers within the church um, that, that we need to be aware of. Jesus says, beware of false prophets in Matthew seven fifteen, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but in, inwardly they are ravening wolves. Their desire is not to build up the flock. Their desire is to build up themselves. Their desire is to get what they want. And uh, I don't know if you've been around any wolves lately, but they're not often the friendliest, right? They'll do whatever it takes to get what they want to get. Um, and, and that's what Peter is warning these people of. And so as Jesus gave that warning and as Peter gave that warning, they were both making it a present reality that false teachers still existed today and the church needs to beware of these things. As we think about church, uh, I'm sorry, as we think about false teachers in our day and age, uh, how how is it that we can guard against them? Wendy. Wendy. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't hear that, she basically said, staying in tune with the Spirit of God in your life. That when you hear or read something, that you're staying so close to God that God will cause those red flags to pop up and say, hey, hey, that doesn't seem like it's supposed to, to be. That doesn't seem right. Jessica, you got to talk loud because the AC is on. <laughs> Yeah, I like that thought, clothing yourself in the Word of God, putting on the armor of God uh, to protect. Uh, and, and why is it that, that we're told to put on the armor of God? Why does Paul say that? To protect against the attacks of the enemy. And one of those attacks would be false teaching creeping into our lives, pulling us away from the truth. Anybody else? Dave. Yeah, that's good. Um, a couple of things following up on, on those thoughts. Um, it's important that we always make sure that what we believe actually lines up with Scripture, right? It, you can often find a verse to prove a point, uh, and I think we've probably all done that, right? Uh, in the heat of the moment, we know the exact verse that's going to tip the scale in our favor. But what does the rest of Scripture have to say? Because if it's just a one-off verse that, that maybe we have pulled from its context even just slightly we're heading down a road that we should not want to go down. Um, the second thing in regards to what Dave was saying, um, one of the things that, that I fear reverentially, and I know Bruce has said this before as well, that 
as a pastor, one day you're going to give an account to God for the people um, that were in your church. And that, that, to me, is a serious thing, right? Like, you have to give an account for their souls, the Bible says. And that's what you have taught them, uh, but it's also you're giving an account for the times in your life where maybe you saw them going astray and you didn't try to bring them back. And so as we think about this idea of false teachers, I think we could all be prone to giving into them. Uh, but we have to give ourselves to the safeguards that God has set up so that we won't go down, that, down those paths. Um, anybody ever think that you, maybe everyone else needs them, but you don't need any safeguards, right? I'm good. I don't need anybody to speak into my life. We can all think that way. But God has set it up so that we do have safeguards in our lives so that when we start to go astray, there's somebody there to draw us back. I was listening to a sermon the other day on um, Matthew 18 and the idea of church discipline. And God's desire is that it never gets to church discipline, right? His desire is that when, when a wrong has been done, that the person that has been wrong will go to the person that has done the wrong, and it will be settled there. And then who has to know about the situation? Only the two people involved. But when there's stubbornness or, or bitterness that has grown or arrogance, it, it goes down that progression until eventually it could lead... Uh, to church discipline. And church discipline is a serious thing. It's a very serious thing. And uh, we've had to deal with that here. But again, those are some of the safeguards that God has set in place to protect us uh, in, in this life. And so as we think about guarding ourselves, anybody else have any thoughts on this idea of guarding yourself? Stephanie. Yeah. Yeah, just know the word. It's after those statistics this morning of 14% of people reading their Bible every day, 14% a couple times a week, I think it was 8% once a week and 7% once a month, um, I would dare say there's a lot of Christians that are as not acquainted with the Word as we need to be. I could say they need to be because that sounds better, but we need to be, right? We all have to give ourselves to the Word to make sure that, that we are protecting or guarding uh, what God wants guarded. Anybody else? Bruce? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very rarely. Yeah. I, I, the statistics kept going, and it got down to to once a year. Well, if if you're in the once a year category, like you're just doing that by accident at that point, right? <laughs> um, it was it was funny. <laughs> Brianna was talking to somebody the other day, and she was talking about how <laughs> around uh, Christmas and Easter. We have to prepare for these extra people that come to church. And she called them the creasters. And the person she was talking to had never heard of that term before. And she was like, man, I've never heard Brianna say a harsh word. And here she was talking bad about the creaster family. I didn't know who they were. It's like, it's not a, well, maybe it is a whole family. I don't know. But um, it is interesting. There are certainly people like that. Somebody else had their hand up. Justin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th I think that's true. That sometimes we're quick to label somebody a false prophet um, just because they believe differently than we do, and that's erring on the other side, right? Just just because somebody has a different belief on a secondary doctrine or a third degree doctrine doesn't mean they're a false prophet. But Peter's going to get into the specifics here as we continue in this passage. And I think that's what we have to do guard against. And so Peter says they're, they're bringing in these damnable heresies. Well, what are some of these dam damnable heresies? He begins with the big one, which is denying the Lord that bought them. And when they do this, they bring upon themselves swift destruction. What is Peter saying here? Is he saying that these people were saved and then they've wandered away from the truth and they've become false prophets and now they're kicked out of the family of God? Well, I don't think so. I think Peter's alluding to this idea of the salvation of God. And we talked about this um, in, in 1 John last year, how 
God's saving grace through Jesus is sufficient for all, but it's efficient for those who believe. So it, 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 it is able to cleanse the sins of all who come to Christ by faith, but it's only efficient for those who come to Christ by faith, right? It's not that everyone is going to be saved, it's that only those who come to Christ will be saved. And so in the, the generic way here that Peter's talking about salvation, he's talking about the sacrifice of Christ. And, and in essence, what these people are doing is they're denying who Jesus is. If you deny who Jesus is, you're not a Christian, right? That, that's plain cut. It's pretty clear. It, Christ is the center of our faith. And so if they're denying the Lord that bought them, um, that proves that they're not under his lordship to begin with, that they've never experienced his salvation in their lives. And so uh, this damnable heresy uh, that Peter is referring to first here is talking about their view of Christ. Um, what does the world say about Christ? Good man. Good man. But don't they say the same thing about you and I at times? Justin? Just a prophet, yeah. A teacher. Um, somebody that, that helped the least of these. And all those are good things. That A carpenter? My dad's a carpenter. He's a pretty good guy, right? Is he on the same plane as Jesus? No, I grew up with him. I know the truth. Um, but Peter's saying that, that they're denying the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that may sound very simple at first, but when you deny the person of Jesus Christ, you're denying that Jesus is God. When you deny the work of Jesus Christ, you're denying his saving act and dying on the cross in our place. And so this is a big deal. When, when Peter says these damnable heresies, this is not something lighthearted, but he's saying they're damnable heresies. What does that mean? That in following them, you're going to be damned. You're going to be cast off in all eternity apart from Jesus Christ, apart from God, uh, in a place where there is no hope. And so this is a big deal. Justin, you had your hand up. Uh, I don't know if this is specifically that place. Certainly there, there's the passage that talks about the unpardonable sin, and I think the two would certainly go hand in hand as we reject the Spirit or reject the, the, the Christ who saves us. Uh, this, the idea would be the same. So I think they could go together, but that's not specifically this passage. Anybody else? Any thoughts on, on this idea of the damnable heresies of rejecting, denying the Lord that bought them? As... As we see in our world today, people who make light of Jesus, um, these, these problems are still arising. These problems are still around. And so as Peter was warning these church believers, or these Christians here, uh, we have to take into account that he is also warning us. And so as they, as they bring in these damnable heresies, what, what is their end? Well, Peter says, they bring upon themselves swift destruction. This made me think of Haman and Esther. As he built the gallows for Mordecai to be hanged on, he was setting his own trap. And that's what that means, that they bring in swift destruction. These people are setting up their own doom. They're setting up their own trap. They're setting up their own end, and it's not going to be good for them. H Haman thought that he was winning. He thought that everything was going in his favor. And that's what these false teachers believe. Why? Because in the moment, they're getting what they want. In the moment, they're, they're greedy Selfish lusts are being fulfilled, but Peter says they're bringing to themselves swift destruction. Now, when I think of swift destruction, I think of something that's going to happen right now, right? But wouldn't we agree that there are many false teachers in the world who aren't being destroyed right here in this moment? I think it's more so talking about the nature of their destruction in the end, that God is going to, his long suffering will run out, his patience will run out, and they, they will meet their destruction uh, as they meet their maker. And so their end is, is not good. Their end is not pleasurable. Their end is not um, something that they will rejoice in. But for now, they're partying. They're living like their end is not going to be that reality. They're living with a different end in mind. And so uh, as Peter begins chapter 2 here, uh, we see that his words are sharp. His words are pointed. Uh, and he's doing this because he wants the believers to be encouraged that they had believed the truth. Sometimes we can feel that if we, if we don't do something, then we're missing out. And that's in part what these believers were facing. That if they didn't give adherence to what these teachers were teaching, then they were going to be lacking something in their Christian life. But Peter said, you've already got the truth. 
It's already been delivered to you. And it didn't get delivered to you by a bunch of guys who made up these stories. It was delivered to you by people who spent time with Jesus himself. And if that's the case, believe what Jesus has said. Peter, I think, would say, if you're not going to believe me, believe what Jesus has said. And when you match my words up with the words that Jesus spoke, my prayer is for my life that they'll always go hand in hand. But if there's ever a time where my words don't line up with Jesus' words, believe Jesus' words. Don't take anybody else's word for it. Just, just go back to him. And so, so Peter was, was uh, anxious in some regards for these people because he wanted them to stay on this path that God had them on. He wanted them to continue believing this truth. And so as Peter was writing them, that was his encouragement. Any thoughts on verse number one? Dave. I was thinking about the fact that they need to be reminded that this has happened before. Hmm. It will happen again. And if, if, I, if I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, I might say, well, well that was back in the yeah. Old Testament. That, that was before <clears throat> Christ came, before we had the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. You know, we didn't, we didn't, they, they didn't have all this stuff. So sure, they might have gotten confused. Yeah. But we're surely... <laughs> No, that's good. Uh, just thinking about the age of technology we live in, I did a, a Google search the other night, it was on Wednesday night, and I got over 5 million results in 0.64 seconds. I don't understand how that's possible. Like, just label me simple, but I don't understand the internet, right? How, how does all this work? Uh, and if, if that's true in a simple Google search for something that probably didn't matter, um, do you think that that's probably true for things that do matter for eternity? that people can Google how to get to heaven and they're going to get hundreds of different answers. And so that's why we have to continually stick to what the Word of God says. Um, not trust our gut. Uh, follow your heart, right? That's the, that's the faithful saying. Follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart. Uh, follow the Word of God. Follow the Spirit that lives within you. Let Him guide your life. Jessica, did you have your hand up? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think one of the ways we can guard against um, heresy is to acquaint ourselves with the character of God. Does what I believe right now line up with who I know God is? And how do I know who God is? I know who He is through His Word. And so if I can acquaint myself with the character of God, I'm going to safeguard myself from following after heresies. 
Continuing on in verse number two, Peter says, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Uh, this, this verse is, is sad um, because Peter's revealing a reality that probably none of us would ever believe about ourselves. Um, do you think you would ever follow a false teacher? No, and neither do the people that are following false teachers, right? That they have believed that what they have believed is the truth. Um, and so when Peter says that, that many shall follow uh, their pernicious ways, uh, he's revealing to the deceptive nature uh, of these false teachers, and he's, he's revealing the, the lack of discernment in the lives of those who are following. And those two things coupled together are a dangerous mix. Uh, if, if you can have a convincing person, but you have discerning people, then that convincing person could be shut down. But if you have a convincing person with people that are not discerning, they're going to fall into the trap every time. And, and Peter's warning against that. And so when he says, many shall follow their pernicious ways, I think in part Peter's saying, you better watch out for yourself. You need to make sure that you're doing the work in your spiritual life to, to ensure that you're not following after um, these who would try to take advantage of you. Um, this word pernicious, pernicious, it's got a couple uh, different meanings. The, the biggest meaning uh, that's most widely used would, would be this idea of destructive. And so Peter says, many will follow their destructive ways. Now, if I was to lay out a plan for you tonight and say, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to fail miserably, and your lives are going to be destroyed as we do this together, and there's no way you'll ever recover from this thing, how many of you guys are going to follow that plan? Not many. But do you know why people follow the plan? Because that's not the way that it's, it's proposed to them. It's proposed that this is going to add value to your life, that this is going to make your life better. It's going to bring you more peace. It's going to bring you more joy. This is how you're going to get connected with God in a way that you have never been connected with Him before. And they, they, they take their doctrine, their beliefs, and they spin them in such a way that it only seems positive. No false teacher ever comes in and says, I just want you to know, I'm a false teacher, right? It doesn't happen. They come in with convincing words. They come in with words that, that grip the heart oftentimes, that, that make people um, play, um, that, that cause people to be played as puppets, that, that they draw them away uh, to their own desires. People says, many shall follow their pernicious ways. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. So that word can mean destructive, um, but this word pernicious can also be translated sensual. Uh, one of the signs of a false teacher is um, the destructive nature that they have in way of sexual things. Uh, there are many false teachers who are motivated by their desire to have their sexual lusts fulfilled. Um, many. And it's not just sexual lust. It's, it's immorality in every other category as well. And so do false teachers become false teachers because they want to stay poor? No. Most false teachers, uh, their pockets are lined very well, right? A couple of years ago, there was uh, some footage of a false teacher, false prophet floating around, and he's got like two or three private jets. Hmm, like if, if there's, not, there's nothing wrong with Christians having things. But does one Christian, one person need two or three private jets? Probably not. Don't you think that money would be better served being sent to a third world country to help them uh, live and understand who, who Jesus is, right? There's a lot of other things that we could do uh, with that money. But these false teachers, they're follow, the people are following their destructive ways. And because of the path that they're taking these people down, the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, or the way of truth shall be blasphemed. What does that mean? It means that these people who follow these lies are going to start talking evil about the truth they once followed. That this path that they're on now, it has enlightened them. They, they've come to see full picture now, and what they were following before that old outdated religion, well, that was a bunch of junk. But the path they're on now is the path that, that God would want them to be. And so as Peter talks about the many that will follow their pernicious ways and, and these people, how, how the truth will be blasphemed, Peter's revealing, again, the deceptive nature of the teachers, and he's also revealing uh, the lack of discernment in the lives of those 
who follow. Um, when false teachers are exposed, what does the world think about Christianity? It's not good. It's not good. There, was, there, there has been a couple big names recently in the last couple of years of pastors um, who, in a sense, were false teachers, and they have wreaked havoc uh, in Christian circles. And you know what the world thinks when they see that take place? Why would I ever follow that? Why, if, if that's the way that Christians are, and these guys have written books, that they've done incredible things that could have been used and um, could have been used for the kingdom, but instead they were using these things for themselves. And when the world sees that, it's no wonder they reject the truth. And so what should our job be as believers? To live the truth, right? Um, I appreciate the story back uh, of Northside in its early days when Bruce took over being the pastor, and, and there was a lot of turmoil there, and the, the, there were people who were saying, we need to change the name of the church, we need to change the name of the church, and Bruce's comment was, no, we need to show people what a Baptist church is. We need to show people what true believers are, and that's, that's what our desire should be. There's a lot of crookedness in the world. There's a lot of perverseness in the world, but that doesn't have to be who we are, so let's show them the truth, and, and Peter's uh, comments here about these false teachers and about them, those who follow the false teachers, it's heartbreaking, but that doesn't have to be who we are. Let, let's reveal the truth to the world around us. Any thoughts on verse number two? Yes, Justin. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that, that's true. Uh, we, we, we as humans are good to convince ourselves that everything we believe is the truth, right? And as we talked about, I believe it was last time, we talked about this idea that there are objective truths, and those are the things that we need to cling to. The objective truths of who God is, that's what we need to be acquainted with because that will keep us from wandering astray. Anybody else? Any thoughts, Bruce? I disagree with you. This is just a heartbreaking hmm. Yeah, right. We've done all these wonderful works in your name. Mm. And a lot of these biggest cults, if you will, use the name of Jesus yeah. in one way or the other. And so it's in your name. <laughs> and yet Jesus said, I never knew you. It's not you got saved and then you got lost. Right. I never knew never. you. Never. You yeah. know, you may have been in church, you may have been baptized, you may have been whatever. Absolutely. And it's a perverted gospel that's false as false yeah. another Yeah. They're, they're sobering verses when we read them. Um, and we, we can, as I said, we can often think about others in these scenarios, but I think Peter's writing with the desire that people would look internally to make sure that we're not prone to following these things that would bring destruction into our lives. Anybody else? Verse number two? Yes, Annie. They're not in the room, are they? Okay. Yeah, no, those are good thoughts. And as we think about maybe a more liberal mindset when it comes to theology, 
there's a, certainly a huge sect of the church or segment of the church that would want to focus on a social gospel. Uh, no, we, we preach the gospel, and the gospel deals with social issues, but we don't preach a social gospel, right? They're, they're very different things. I think as believers, we should be involved in social issues. We should care about social issues, but we don't preach a social gospel. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we let him, through us, work through the social issues in our world. Um, we're going to continue on in verse number three. He continues and says, And through uh, covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Um, this is another uh, heavy verse as, as Peter's writing. He says, Through their covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. Um, does anybody like being taken advantage of? Um, no. When Peter uses this, this word, um, feigned words, that word feigned is, would be where we get the idea of, of plastic or fake. And so with these, through covetousness, they will, with fake words, make merchandise of you. What does that mean? That they're going to do what they can do to get what they want at any cost. They're going to say what they have to say to get what they want. They'll sell you so that they can get what they want in the moment. Um, and as I said, none of us like being taken advantage of, but our eyes need to be open to this reality that if we're not careful, all of us will be taken advantage of. If we're not guarding ourselves, if we're not guarding our hearts, uh, then, then we will give way to these feigned words or these plastic words that will fall prey to the fakeness that they speak, and, and we could in some way be pulled away. Uh, false teachers are always master, master manipulators. They can convince you to do what you swore you'd never do so that they can get what they've always wanted. They can convince you to follow down a path that you thought you'd never go down, so that they, they can get what they wanted. And it's all, um, it all stems from, from their covetousness. Uh, as I, I was reading this over and over this week, and even this afternoon again, that idea of, of their feigned words shall make merchandise of you, it just stuck with me. Like, I, I don't ever want to be a people user right? That's not my desire in ministry. Uh, as I said this morning, I, I, it's not my job to convince people to do anything. It's my job to proclaim the truth, and the Spirit of God will convince. Can God use a pastor? Certainly God can use a pastor, but if people are doing what the Bible says only because that's what I've told them to do, how long is that going to last? Not very long. It may look good in the moment, but it's not going to last. And so Peter is, is warning these people to not give way to these false teachers uh, because all they want to do is, is use them. They want to make merchandise of them, to sell them to get what they want. And then he says, whose judgment now of long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And so as we, as we think again about their damnation, we know it's coming, but we also know um, that it's coming in God's time and not ours. And so if that's true, that damnation is coming, but it hasn't happened yet, and it means that false teachers are still creeping in this world, what does that mean for us? That we must be sober and be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It goes back to Jesus' words to Peter. Peter, I have prayed for you. Why? Because Satan has desired to sift you as wheat that he may have you. And if that was true then, friends, it's still true today. And so we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our minds uh, to make sure that, that we're following the truth, that we're believing the truth, that we're sticking to the truth, regardless of what the false teachers around us would say. Uh, the passage that, that both Bruce and I referenced in Matthew seven twenty one through 23 says this, "'Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. It doesn't, it doesn't say the will of the false teacher. It says the will of the Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So as Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount there in chapter 7, he's reminding us that people can do the right things for the wrong reasons, and those right things done for the wrong reasons are works of iniquity. Why? Because they were dependent upon the flesh and not the spirit. They were doing it in their own power to get what they wanted. 
They were using people, um, manipulating people, using people as merchandise so that they could uh, appease the lust of their flesh in whatever category that may fall. And so Peter's warning them to be on guard. And so as we started, we, we talked about this idea of what can we do to put safeguards in our lives to ensure that we're not following false teachers. And I think a lot of good things came up, that, that we make sure that we're clothing ourselves in the armor of God, that we make sure that our minds are bathed in the Word of God, that we're staying sensitive to the Spirit of God, that we're allowing um, other people to speak into our lives, even when it's uncomfortable, that, that we're willing to, to listen with an ear um, that would have a desire to learn rather than just listening while in the back of our minds thinking to ourselves, I, I don't need this information. Um, I was listening to something the other week, this week actually, and the guy was sharing a testimony about how when he was in college, he was talking to one of his, his roommates and they were both in college to be pastors and um, they were talking about this idea of daily devotions. And the guy that was talking said he was speaking to his friend and, and he said, so, so when do you do your devotions? And the guy said, well, I, I, don't have, I don't read the Word of God anymore. I don't read the Bible. And the guy's like, you're studying to be a pastor. You don't read the Bible. So why? He said, because I know it all. I, I already I know what the Bible says. I know what the message of the Bible is. So I don't need to take it in on a daily basis. And a few short years after that guy graduated from college, he walked away from the faith completely. Why? Because he wasn't guarding his heart. He wasn't guarding his mind. And so when, when we say in church, read your Bible and pray, it can sound so simplistic. But those are some of the, the deeply grounding truths that will shape your life. Coming to church is great. I want people to come to church. I'm thankful for the, the group that is here tonight. But coming to church alone does not shape your Christian life. Your personal time with Jesus shapes your Christian life. Your personal time in prayer, that's what shapes your Christian life. Going to church is, is reinforcement of those things. Going to church is encouraging that you're around people that are doing those same things. Going to church gives you opportunity to grow in your knowledge, but the deeply shaping moments of your life are had in your personal time that you spend in the Word of God and that you spend in, in prayer to that God through the Son and through the Spirit. And so as Peter is encouraging these believers, he's encouraging them in chapter 1, to believe that they have believed the truth. Why? Why does he want them to be confident Christians? Because there were false teachers all around them who were seeking to lure them away. And though destruction was coming upon those false teachers, Peter says, be aware that their destruction is not yet. And the time that they have on this earth will be used to lure people from the truth so that they can get what they want. Any thoughts as we wrap things up? We've got a couple minutes left. Dave. <laughs> it was so, so well said and so eloquent. Um, but the, the merchandise of you, that's, we talk about that now with, like, if you're, if you're getting anything of value for free, hmm. then you're the product, right? You're the, you're the thing being bought and sold. So, like, uh, if you're on social media sites, uh, you're getting all of this stuff for free, or you sign up for a free newsletter, <laughs> they, don't, they don't realize what the end product yeah. is uh, of the so, um, But anyway, I just I, I love that he, he summarizes that um, the, this this concept 
Yeah, no, it is great. I, I, I think it's in stark contrast to Jesus' words, right? If any man will follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And these false teachers were teaching a very different message, like Dave is saying, basically, you can do what you want. And if there's no cost to the Christian life, then there's probably no value to the Christian life. And the passage we looked at this morning in Romans 12, 1 and 2, the whole Sermon on the Mount, and basically everything that Paul ever says, uh, would reveal that there's a cost to the Christian life. It, it's not a cost to earn our salvation, but there's a cost to identifying with Christ. And if your Christianity's not costing you something, you're probably doing it wrong, right? You're probably not hitting the mark in the way um, that God would desire you to hit it. We love the grace of God, but was the grace of God free? Cost God a lot. It cost him his son. And so living in light of that grace, um, God does put demands on our lives. And they're, again, they're not demands so that we would be accepted. They're not demands so that we could earn salvation. Uh, they're demands oftentimes for our good, for our safety, and for his, his glory. Anybody else? Closing thoughts? Just one, if I could, from Second Corinthians chapter 11, just the deceitfulness of these workers. Hmm. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles yeah. of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is also transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their yeah. works. Yeah. So, you know, it's like without Christ, we don't stand a chance right. against these guys. Yeah. You know, they yep. just look so good and their buildings are so big and beautiful and, you know, yeah. That's you talk to missionaries, and that's one of the the greatest hardships that missionaries face in a lot of third world world countries is that the churches that preach the truth are not big and beautiful and fancy. Oftentimes they're shacks. But what do people in those villages want? They want the big, beautiful, and the fancy. And so oftentimes those false false religions or cults are thriving in a sense that they're getting a lot of people through the door, uh, while oftentimes the other church, the little churches, are, or the truth, church, true churches are struggling. Um, and that just shows the, <laughs> the lack of discernment in the hearts of humans, that we just want what's shiny, right? We just want what's shiny. We don't care what the end is. We just want what's shiny in the moment, and we're willing to forsake the truth because of it. Bernadette, did you have your hand up? That is a good question. Um, I think God can use all things for his glory, right? I, I think God, God can do things that are beyond our understanding, and I'm going to hold off on answering that question until next Sunday night when we meet again. How's that sound? <laughs> <laughs>